All right, uh, my name is uh, Michael. For you guys who don't know me, I am one of the youth leaders here at, uh, at Youth, and uh, I'm excited. We're in the middle of a series uh, through the book of Genesis in the summer, and uh, it's awesome. It's great. We've had a bunch of guests, and tonight uh, I get to kind of break up all of those guests and uh, get us to talk about what we want to talk about today. So if you guys have a Bible, please turn to uh, Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. If you do not have a Bible, we have leaders come down uh, the middle of these walkways. They're going to have them in their hands. Just lift your hand up if you want one and uh, get to Genesis chapter 25. We are going to be talking about a guy named Jacob. And uh, Jacob is a very, very interesting figure for us because to be honest, he's going to be the most like us uh, the whole way through. Jacob is a very, very interesting person. And uh, in Genesis 25, we're going to see quickly why he is so interesting. Um, usually when I'm up here, I try and, uh, I try and like wait for the punchline or whatever and try and keep it to the end and keep everyone guessing as to what's going on. Today, I'm going to flat out just give you what we're talking about from the offset. And then we're going to kind of just try and work it through as we go along. So today, the whole topic of what we're talking about is dependence. It's dependence on do you trust yourself or do you trust God? Now, for some of you, that's a default answer. Boom. Some of you are like, I trust God wholeheartedly. Another half of you are like, no, no, no. Why do I have to trust anyone other than me? You guys are in completely different positions. That's totally okay. What we hope for the end of this is that both of you will meet in the middle somehow through the rest of our kind of conversation here and you begin to understand what it is that we're actually trying to talk about. So as we go about this, we're going to jump into a, a bunch of different places in the Bible. Jacob's story is long. You're going to hear me reference other verses. Don't feel like you have to flip ahead or get to that place. Just pay attention, listen, and understand what we're going and what we're trying to do. We're just jumping ahead in his story. Um, how many of us uh, ever kind of did something really, really stupid when they were like a little kid, and they just kind of repetitively did it, even though they knew that it was dumb, all right? Uh, my thing was, uh, and I, I, I talk about this often, um, when I was little, I used to go to restaurants and I would grab the straw and I would put it into like my Coca-Cola or any like my soft drink or whatever, soft drink, my pop, and, uh, and I, would, uh, I would blow bubbles into it, right? Because it's like, that's awesome. And so I would blow the bubbles into it and my mom would get so annoyed because like the parents or whatever are trying to have this like epic conversation and I'm blowing bubbles into my pop like idiot. And that's like I was 17. And so then I, I kept on blowing bubbles into this pop. And one day my mom looks at me, I swear to you, she says, you got to stop doing that. Why mom? I'm not lying to you. She says, if you keep doing that, you're going to get cancer. And I was like, what, what do you mean? She goes, it's just the way that, you know, the oxygen hits the chemicals in the pop and the fumes, you, and it just gives you cancer. And I'm like scarred for life. Like, I know that's not true now. And like my older self, I still can't do it. So somehow it has a grip on me, right? And so I'm still trying to not blow bubbles because I, I don't want that to happen to me. And we do all of these kind of little things constantly, just subconsciously, we, we um, I remember I would drive from church in the mornings when I was a kid to my uncle's house every single day from Vancouver to Coquitlam. And to get from Vancouver to Coquitlam, you've got to go through New West. And New West has this big uh, wall, and it has this Salvation Logo Army. And I don't know why, but as a kid, I decided to myself that every single time that Salvation Logo Army, uh, 
Salvation Army logo was up on that wall, I had to, I had to not let it see me. That was my thing. So every single time, I'd be like in the back seat, like hanging out, like trying to play my GameCube or my Game Boy or whatever with like the light. That's how old school it was. And I'd be driving and all of a sudden I'd see the salvation. I'd hide. I'd just hide. And then I'd wait like a solid 15 and I'm back and ready to go. And all of us have these little dumb things, right? Some of us still don't, uh, don't, don't step on cracks because we want our mother's well-being to be okay. And uh, a lot of us have these little dumb things that we try to do. When we really look at what those things are, these weird little things, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's you have to eat a certain meal before a game. Or maybe it's you have to listen to a certain album or certain music or any of these things that we, these like little traditions that we begin to create within ourselves. Once we begin to actually understand why we do those things, it's actually way more important for us to understand. We do those because we are seeking control. We do them because we want to control the outcome. If I just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, I'm going to be the one in control. Does that make sense? What we are going to see throughout this story of Jacob is he does the exact same thing over and Dover and Dover, and he gets burned a couple times by it. And then we see how the story ends, and it should be pretty interesting for us to look at. Okay, uh, Genesis 25, verses 19 to 29, uh, 10 verses. If you guys didn't read your Bible today, uh, this, uh, this counts. This is what it says. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, right? Abraham, we talked about him last week. Uh, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of some dude, uh, the, some dude, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. The Lord granted, means she couldn't have babies, uh, the Lord for his wife because she was barren. The Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. You know, had a baby. Uh, the children struggled together within her. There's two babies. And she said, if it thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. It's kind of intense. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Okay? Problems from the beginning. Verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. Okay. All his body was like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. This is a hairy baby. All right? Uh, 26. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, right? Or uh, the grabber of the heel. They're really good with names back then. And, uh, and it says, Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in his tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. This is the deal. Lady can't have a baby. God goes, boom, you're going to make some babies. They make some babies. Two babies are in the thing. They're the thing. The two babies are there. And, uh, and these two nations are going to be coming out like these, these two kids. The one guy comes out. He's, he's red. He's hairy. Uh, okay. He comes out. The second one comes out, grabbed on the heel. He slips right on it. Slips. It's a disgusting language. And, uh, and he comes out, and he gets, he gets, named, uh, he gets named Jacob. Now, Jacob is a very, very interesting name for him to be called because Jacob means he deceives. He deceives. 
Right? It's very, very important that we get that. He deceives. That's his name from the beginning of all of this. And it tells you a lot about what he is trying to do. He, for the rest of the time, is going to try and control everything about his life. He's going to fake it till he makes it. He's going to lie his way out of some stuff. And we are going to feel very connected to this. How many of us have ever worked out in our lives? Right? Half of you, pick it up. All right? <laughs> Coming from me. What's going on? Anyways, uh, so, that's, so that's some part. Some of us are really, really into, um, you know, we got some vegans in the house. They're like, no, we don't, do the, we don't eat the cows, right, or whatever. I don't know. Praying for y'all. And, uh, and you got those guys. And they're very, very meticulous about kind of their ethics and the way that they want to treat their bodies, right? You have some other people who work out all the time or play sports because, man, you know, I need, a, I need to have the, the six-pack or whatever. Or the ladies are like the, I don't know. Anyways. The gap? I don't know. Anyway, so you guys got your stuff. And everyone's trying to kind of do something with, you know, their body. They're trying to take care of themselves in some essence. But the one thing that we always forget, the part of the body that we always forget to actually control is the tongue. Is the way that we talk. It's the way that we say things. Why do we take so much time to control everything else? And yet the way that we speak about things constantly evades us. Some of us in the room have a very, very horrible, horrible pattern and habit of lying. We just lie. It seems natural to us. It just flows easily for different reasons. Maybe because we just don't want to feel shame about something. Maybe because we, we have a pride about ourselves. We want to make ourselves feel better to other people. And they just they slip right out. And lies are always very interesting because lies do something for you. Lies make you hide. That's all it is. All a lie is, is you running away from the person for them not to see you for who you really are. You are trying to put on a facade. Lying is in our very instincts. It's the mask that we put on, on social media. It's the, the, the way that we present ourselves to everyone who, if we're in closed doors by ourselves, we realize we're not the same person. We're trying to be something all the time. It's, it's lying. It's deceiving. We're just, we're just trying to hide. We know this. Right? Some of, the, uh, some of you guys uh, are going to get to a place where, you know, guys, you're going to see a girl. And you're like, hey. And uh, the girls are going to see the, the guys and say, no. And, uh, and, and that whole shebang is going to happen, right? And that's that rhythm of life, right? Some of our leaders know that badly. Sorry. And uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, so as, as that kind of happens, you get into these rhythms, right? Guy likes girl, guy likes girl. And so say guy, you know, all of a sudden he, he gets like a girl says, okay, I'll, I'll go out on a date with you. And uh, they go and, and now it's gone a couple dates and now you're going to meet the parents, we know how fake you become then, right? You are the nicest human being. Your language begins to change. Everything about you is completely different because you want them to see you in a different way, right? And you don't actually, let's be honest, okay? This is the best advice I'll give to you. I don't actually know if that's true, but this is going to be true. I'm going to be straight with you. You don't actually know the person that you're dating until, this might sound gross, until they fart in front of you. Let's be straight, right? If you feel that comfortable with someone, that's the real you. And, uh, 
And once that moment happens, it's kind of like the walls are down. Everything is open and bare at this, at this point. And it's funny, right? Because how much time do you kind of spend there holding it in? And, uh, and your forest do something weird, you know, where they don't, if they're not coming out, they go back up. And then you get, uh, and you get the gurglies, you know? And someone's like, dude, what, what happened? And you're like, I'm just, I'm just hungry. And, uh, and they're like, we, we literally just ate. My metabolism's ridiculous. And, uh, and you try to play off this, this facade, right? You try, to, you try to just give yourself an image that other people want you to see. Jacob comes out holding onto his brother's heel, and his whole life is defined actually by his name. He deceives. And we do this all the time. We play the same game. We lie to hide ourselves from the way that people see us. It's not just the way that we do regularly. It, it happens in the church too. We hide all the time behind titles, behind names, because we want people to see us a, a certain way. Right, so if, uh, I want you to imagine uh, a game show with me, right? So you can imagine the lights, the background, it's, you know, two sides. Imagine like a family feud or something, and Steve Harvey's up there, and he got the mic. He's like, all right, let's invite uh, so-and-so and so-and-so. And they go up, and they are going to ask three questions. And those three questions, and this, this game show is called, uh, what is your worldview? Or what is your faith? And uh, they ask three questions to each of the contestants. They go, uh, do you pray? And the whole goal is Steve Harvey's going to be able to guess what their faith is, right? Do you pray? Both answer, no. Okay, okay, tough. Um, do you uh, read any kind of like a sacred book or anything? Both say, no. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, do you guys like uh, tell other people about your faith, like evangelize or anything? Uh, no. Okay, uh, I'm going to guess both of you guys are, are atheists, right? Tension's up, right? The, the audience is waiting. They flip the scorecards. One says atheist, one says Christian. Isn't that interesting? They look exactly the same. They do exactly the same things. One's hiding behind a name, and the other one's pretty honest with themselves. This is what they call in the church an idea called practical atheism. It's where we hide behind a name and really in action and in deed, we're something completely different from what we say we are. It's deception. It's deceiving. And we see this in Jacob's life as it keeps going and moving forward. Uh, Genesis, Genesis 25, uh, 29 to 34 jumps. It, it progresses in the story. Now these two guys are older, uh, Jacob and Esau, and Esau's still the man, right? He's still red. He's still hairy. I don't know if that's true, but he's like a hairy dude. He's like a, it's like here. It's like Italian or something. I don't know. So he's, 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 he's going there, and uh, he's the hunter, right? So he goes out, and he gets all the food, and, and he's, he's killing stuff, and he's bringing it in. He's, he's the chef also, and, and uh, so he's coming in. And at that time, how it worked was the inheritance, double the inheritance was given to the older brother. Right? The older brother, he's the one that everybody wants to be. Because he gets the most stuff. So he goes out and he's, he's hunting food and he comes back. And uh, he shows up and he's hungry. But his brother made the food. He made the soup or whatever. And Esau goes, give me a bowl of soup. Jacob, right, what's his name? The deceiver. He's, he's the one who deceives. Says, um, okay, I'll... Uh, I'll trade you a bowl of soup for your birthright. 
right? For, for everything you're going to receive, I'll trade you this bowl of soup for everything you, you're going to receive. Esau's not very smart. He goes, everything I'm going to receive, soup. I love ramen. Okay, uh, let's go. Let's go with the noodles. And, and he chooses the noodles, and they trade. And Jacob tricks him into giving him everything he's ever going to receive for a bowl of soup. And then Esau kind of gets ticked because he made a bad choice and he regrets it. And, and this is the first trick. This is the very first thing we see Jacob kind of trick his brother into. Genesis 25. And then it pushes over again into Genesis 37. The next story of Jacob's life. And their dad is, is kind of old. Right? Isaac's kind of just, he's at the point where he's not seeing really well. He's dying, and he has to give his blessings to one of the sons. So who do you think is going to get the blessing? Esau, the older one, because that's what he deserves. And his mom sees that his dad's about to do this, and so he goes to, she goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, I want you to kind of sneak on in there, and I want you to pretend like you're your brother and steal that, that blessing from your brother. Now your family's kind of all whacked out, right? So mom goes and tells uh, tells Jacob to go in there, and no word of a lie. Okay, this is actually hilarious. Jacob grabs some fur and puts it on his back because his brother's that hairy, right? So his, his, his dad can't see, so he rolls in there with some fur and goes, who is this? And he goes, ah, oh, it's Esau. You know, it's your oldest brother, your oldest son, or whatever. It's your oldest son. And he's like, oh, I can't see anything. Let me feel you. And so he goes, and he puts his hand, and he just feels kind of the, the fur, and he goes, oh, it is my son. Like, that's horrible when your brother's King Kong. You know what I mean? So, so he, he kind of feels him. And then the, the dad gives Jacob the blessing. He lies again the second time. He tricks another time, gets exactly what he wants. And once again, he is in control. Let's jump in the story again. At this point, this is a very, very weird kind of a moment. So Jacob's lied, he's lied, he's lied, he's, he's constantly in this rhythm. And because Esau had his blessing stolen, Esau wants to now kill his brother, right? This is massive family issues. So the mom says, I want you to go to my brother, go hang out with him, go take off. So Jacob runs away. As Jacob's running away, this is what begins to happen. Genesis 28, uh, verse 10 to 22. Uh, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. This is where his, uh, his, his uncle is. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreams this really, really crazy dream. Right? He sees this ladder in his dream and a bunch of angels. And he's, you know, he's asleep and he's seeing this thing. And it's like, what does this even mean? And all of a sudden, he hears in the morning this voice. And it says, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac, your father. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Okay, this isn't really seeming to add up. So Jacob is a liar. He's lied more than one occasion. 
and God begins to re-up the commitment that he made to Abraham of how you were going to bless all the nations, he goes and says, Jacob, you're going to do the same thing. Now, in our economy, we go, okay, you just did a couple really crummy things. Why would you get something really good out of this? It doesn't make any sense. And he keeps going. He gets the blessing and he moves on. Then this is where it gets crazy. So Jacob rolls up. He sees these two girls. They're at a well. He's like, oh, right. So he sees this one girl. He likes her. Her name is Rachel. And, uh, and then there was Leah. And no one wanted Leah, right? So all of a sudden, Rachel goes and says to uh, Rachel, or Jacob goes to Rachel's dad and says, hey, I want to marry your daughter, right? And a good dad, as he is, he goes, okay, you work for me for seven years. I'll give you my daughter in marriage. Crazy, you know? <laughs> Some of you were like, I wish that's how it worked today. And, uh, and so all of a sudden he goes seven years in marriage or seven years of work and he's going to marry Rachel. Rachel's the one that, you know, he's looking for. So all of a sudden seven years passed and he, the, the dad goes, okay, a deal is a deal. We're going we're gonna to make this happen. And then what happens to Jacob? Jacob uh, gets to a point where he, uh, you know, he, he just, uh, ooh, too much. And uh, he can't really tell what's going on at his wedding. And the dad trades daughters trades Rachel for Leah because Leah's the older one. She's the one who should get the blessing first. So all of a sudden, you know, stuff happens, whatever, and wakes up in the morning and goes, what the? This is not the girl I thought I married. He gets tricked, right? The deceiver is the one who now gets deceived. And it's, you're like, okay, this is a really weird moment in the story. He goes to the dad and he goes, you, you tricked me. And he goes, ah, yeah, yeah, it's true. I did. I did. Uh, you work another seven years and I'll give you my other daughter. And he goes, all right, all right, all right. So he goes and he accepts it. And the, it's so funny because the Bible says, why did he not like Leah? Why does he not like Leah? Why is Leah such a bad individual compared to Rachel? The Bible just said she had weak eyes. What does that mean? I don't know. I, I heard some hypotheses. I asked a student today, what do you think weak eyes means? He went, she had a lazy eye. I'm like, I don't think that's what it, I don't think that's what it is. And you're mean and you're horrible. You should pray more. And uh, so now the deceiver, the guy who tricks, he's the one who gets tricked. Okay, I know this is long. It's going to pay off somewhere. So then he goes and uh, gets tricked for the father-in-law. So now he's working for this, for this guy. And he's like, okay, I'm working for you now. And he, so he starts being the shepherd. He starts growing all the cattle or whatever, and he starts saying, okay, well, I'm going to divide up these sheep, and I'm going to make this one, these, these groups of sheep, really, really strong, and I'm going to take them as my own. And I'm going to make these ones kind of suck, and I'm going to leave them for my father-in-law. And I'm going, to, I'm going to mount a lot, a lot of stuff for me, and then he's not going to get a lot. And he tricks his father-in-law after he has been deceived. Right? You can see this is kind of this is mounting up for this dude. Tricks his father-in-law. Father-in-law finds out. Now you have a second guy who wants to kill him. So now he's like, all right, I got to get me and my two girls. One of them I like. The other one's like there. And I got to get out of here. So he grabs all his cattle. He grabs all of the people that he's with. And he, he takes off and he runs away. And he goes back to where he started. But who is back where he started? The brother who's not having a great time. And he hears he's coming back, and now the brother says, oh, come on now, he's, he's coming back? And Jacob begins to hear that Esau has 400 men waiting for him. So he lines up, you know, the people that work for him at the front, and he lines up Leah and her family, 
And then he protects Rachel in the back because that's, you know, it's his girl. He sends them off ahead. And this very, very, very epic moment happens in Genesis 32. Where as he's kind of waiting, remember, this is, this is the guy who has been tricking everyone. And still been kind of getting away with it. This is what happens. Same night he arose and took his two wives, his female servants, and his 11 children. He crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. He was left alone. It's the first time in a long time that this begins to happen. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. This random guy shows up. They decide, well, we're men. This is what we do. They wrestle. It's very interesting. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. It's a really weird story, isn't it? He sends his wives off, and he shows up, and he's kind of alone, and then all of a sudden he starts wrestling this dude. Like it's kind of random. It's kind of this weird back-and-forth discussion, and his hips out of joints, and He's always going to have a limp kind of from now on. He's talking. He's like, who are you? Who are you? And the Bible's example of who this guy is is God himself who wrestles with Jacob when he's alone. The guy who tricks and tricks and tricks and tricks has finally faced the consequences of his decisions He's learned and seen God face to face. And he learned a valuable lesson, which is what I hope for you all to understand. All he's done with his lies has hid. He's been hiding. He's been hiding. He's been hiding until he sees God face to face. And he learns in this moment when his hip is out of socket, I will now have to lean and depend on God, just as I will have to lean and depend on this stick to walk for the rest of my life. He finally learns what trusting is. He finally learns what dependence really means. He finally understands that I can't actually go through life hiding in every single situation. I have to have this idea of trust. I have to have this idea of faith. To believe in something that I cannot just do all the time. How many of us need to hear that? This isn't on you to figure your life out. This isn't on you for you to create every decision possible for the rest of your life to have that handled for yourself. 
This is how problems begin to arise. Because what this begins to tell us is there's something other than just you. Now, for some of us, that doesn't make sense. Some of us, we say, no, 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 it's just me. I'm the only thing. There is no God, and that's okay. You can think that. You can believe that. That's, that's your choice, and that's okay. But with that choice, you're going to have a couple problems. What does that mean? There's three things, I think, from this whole story I think we can take, we can take away. The first one's really interesting. If you believe that you are the only thing that you can trust, that your intellect, that your hiding is the only thing real to you, now you know the basis of your anxiety. If you take away God from any kind of situation, if you say there is no supreme being or, or something above or anything like that or whatever kind of cheesy religious language you think of, if you begin to think that about yourself, then you begin to truly understand why you have some of the problems that you do. Because all of the pressure is on you. If it's just you, who has to create meaning for your life? You do. Who has to create purpose for what you're going to do for the rest of your life? You do. Who has to create what's good and what's bad for you? You do. Who has to make the priorities of what you do for the rest of your life and make those things the most important things? You do. Who has to be the one that controls every single relationship and make sure we hold everything intact? You do. Now, are you, as a human being, capable of handling all of that pressure on your own? No. You're not. Who has ever been on Facebook in the last couple of days? Right, some of us. You know how people nowadays are just very sensitive to things all the time? You put up one joke and every single person's like, oh my gosh, who even are you? You animal, right? And they just go crazy. Why are people so sensitive? Why are people just reacting so much? It's because they're responsible for the thing that you're challenging. If I have this certain political stance and I'm the one who has to choose all of my own decisions, you are actually challenging something at the very core of myself. If I think of the world in a certain way or I believe in this kind of a faith system and that's the thing you challenge, you're challenging something at the very core of myself. I'm the one in charge of this. Of course I'm going to be sensitive about that thing because everything around me I am in charge of. And if that's what you begin to believe, the pressure's on and it will always be on. It will always be hard. It will always be difficult. This begins to tell you a very different tune about a God who is bigger than yourself. Have you ever realized that you can only actually know why you do things that you do because you have something else to compare it to? There's something else to compare it to. Now, if everything is just left to humanity, right? This might be a bit heady, but I want you to pay attention. If you create a law or any human being creates a law, how could you trust that that very thing is a good thing? How could you trust that that very thing is a good thing? Faith. 
because you have to trust the person who imposed it. Why do you believe a lot of the information that you believe? Why do you go to class and someone says something to you and you automatically say, that is a true statement? Trust. Faith. I think it's funny that a lot of people say, I, I, I'm not a person of faith. And really, you show faith every single day in a lot of different ways. Just not in the direction that we might be talking about. Faith is within every single one of us in one way or another. And that means you cannot be the person who does everything on your own. The second thing is he has problems. You have problems. Let me tell you, I got problems, right? I'm actually a disgusting human being. I don't know if you know that. I'm disgusting, okay? I'm just a gross person. I do things that you're like, really? How old are you? I'm like, it's okay. It's fine. I have a lot of issues. I'm actually very, very insecure about a lot of different things. I'm actually always in this state of, man, I, am I actually okay? Am I doing things the right way? How do people think about me? I'm not in a different boat than any one of you. But this is the problem, is we begin to see our limits in our life. Right? This guy has a lot of limits. He lies, he deceives, and at those moments we begin to tell ourselves, man, there's nothing going to happen with me in my life because I have X, 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 and these are my issues. But I want you to think of, of just being kind of an artist for a second, and you have your canvas, and you're beginning to draw a masterpiece. What's the only thing that allows you to draw the art in front of you? The boundaries, the limitations. That's when creativity actually really sparks. It's when you know the limitations of yourself that you could actually go beyond what you could possibly imagine. Not on your own effort. That's what we're trying to get to. This isn't on Jacob for him to figure stuff out on his own. This is for God to come into the situation to look him face to face and go, do you actually have faith the right way? Is this just about you? Is this just about how you want to live your life and run the way that you do things? Or are you going to believe there's something more to this? I actually don't know everything. I don't know why things work out this way or work out this way. I don't know why there was a guy 2,000 years ago who divided all of history up. He's the most famous figure of all time. I don't know why any of these things begin to happen. Trust in your limitations, not as problems, but as opportunities for you to show humility and understand there is more than just myself. And the last thing I think we can take away from this is it's so funny that in the middle of the story of Jacob, after he's deceiving and he's lying and he's lying and he's lying, in the middle of all of his lies, God does not strike him down or something crazy like that. God doesn't yell at him. In the middle of his sin, what does God do? Blesses him. In the middle of his hiding, in the middle of lies, he says, listen, 
The same thing I did for your grandfather, I'm going to do for you. The same thing I did with your father, I'm going to do with you. All of the world is going to be changed because you existed. And the lesson for us to understand is that God will work in spite of us. That's the most beautiful thing for us to understand about the gospel, about Jesus, about this idea of a God being present. Is if he is actually in control and we're not, then what it means for the people walking down the street or the people who walk into this room, it's I cannot screw this up. I cannot screw this up. All this does is give me confidence and joy because who doesn't have to handle everything? Me. Because I have faith that he's going to do something far greater than I could ever possibly imagine. I'm going to invite Seth up. And I want to do something a bit different from, from what we regularly do. As we're talking about faith, as we're talking about dependence, as we're talking about the way that God is really the one who's in control of all of this. There's a couple different ways that we think about our life. And there's a couple different ways that faith systems begin to make us understand the way that all of this work. We think that we have to do everything we possibly can to get to God. We have to act a certain way. We have to talk a certain way. We have to do certain things. We have to be certain kinds of people. That's the way that we get to God. It's by our efforts and not by his. If you picture everything like a mountain, every other faith system is do this, do this, do this, climb. Climb harder. Climb more. Climb more. Eventually you're going to get to the top and then you're going to be saved. If you just put more effort into it, you get to the top of that mountain and then you get what you truly want. It's by your effort and your effort alone. So everything works. You follow these rules, you follow these laws, you do these things, you climb the mountain, and once you get to the top, you are going to get what you deserve. And the crazy thing about the Christian gospel, the crazy thing about a God that we believe in, is that when everything else tells you constantly over and over again, you have to climb the mountain. You have to do things to get up there. What this says is that's not true. You don't actually have to go up the mountain. You don't actually have to do things to reach him in the highest levels. What this is talking about, dependence, faith, trust in something outside of yourself, what this is saying, this is pushing forward to a time where you do not have to go to him as much as understand that Jesus, God in flesh, came for you. That you would trust, that you would depend, that you would have faith and something outside of yourself to give you what true reality actually looks like. That when we think of everything that we begin to do, it's hard for us to understand. There's this interesting quote by this guy. I'm going to read it for us. And it says this. The reality of God 
has essentially been overshadowed for many modern people by their hugely inflated estimation of human potential. As we begin to tell ourselves, oh, we don't need a God, we can do it. I think the lesson I'm trying to say to you guys today is, no, you need a God because you can't. Because you can't. Well, my hope is today is we enter again into worship. As some of you have been riding this fence for a long time. Kind of been in and out of what this whole thing is. We come here, we show up, we have a lot of fun, we listen to people talk, and we kind of float around and we're not really, we're not really in. Today, more than ever, what I want to do is I want you to, play, uh, to plant your flag in the ground. I want you to set your stake to where you really are. I want you to commit to something today. If you feel like, man, this is, this is where I'm at. This is what I get. This is what I actually understand about my life. There is actually something more to this. Tonight's the night where you look at Jesus, the one who came down for you, the one where this whole story is pushing trust, dependence, not in your own effort, but in something else. For you to have this kind of a moment, to look God face to face and to realize for the first time maybe who you truly are. To not lie about things, to not hide, and to not think that you have to be in control. So song, as the song goes on, and as Seth begins to sing, we're going to have leaders here up at the front. And I want you kind of just to stay where you are, not to, not to come up here. I want you to stay right where you are. And for those of you who say, tonight's tonight, I want to accept Jesus into my life. I want to truly make the decision I'm not in control, that God has me in this, and this isn't up to me. I would ask for you to come up to pray with one of these leaders and make this the day that changes your life forever. So let me pray. We can move in to worship as we go along. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to just be immersed in, into your story. That as you're pushing us to understand things, to believe in things, that as we look around at our life and see what we're actually doing and, and committing faith every single day, that, that God, that that would be pushed onto you, that we would just be so changed and marked in our life, that this, this isn't something that we just constantly trust ourselves in, that we are not the ultimate answer of what life is. That we're left with confusion and doubt. And that God, you would just use this as a marker, as, as a moment for people in their hearts to change to be different, to see transformation, not because of our effort, but because of yours, but because of your work in, on the cross, that you came and these, these lies, this hiddenness, these bad things that we do in our life, this sin that we have is erased because of your efforts, that we finally get redemption, we finally get to be who we truly need to be, that we truly believe in you and understand that you are here and now, we can be reconciled to you in love. 
that you change us and you work in our hearts in a tremendous way. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. Jesus, I want to pray. Amen.